Hello, and welcome to Looks Unfamiliar, the show that continues to insist that Lisa Stansfield's breakthrough hit was Is It The Only Way? What was it the only way? Yeah, I don't think we ever found that out. As some of you have probably already worked out, joining me today on the show where we look back at some things that our guests cannot convince people that they didn't make up is writer and broadcaster Ben Baker. Ben, what are you up to and where can we find it? I write books and I write blogs and stuff and I do podcasts. People may have heard some of the stuff, some of it with you, some with Phil Cattrall. And I do books. I've just released a quiz book called Your Starter for Ben and you can find me on benbaker.blogspot.com. Is it that Ben Baker on Twitter? I don't know. I only use it to shout at liberals. Well, speaking of starters for Ben, you see what I did there, listeners? Here's your first choice. Lovely from London with the girls. Hello, girls! And with the boys. Hello, boys! All saying hello to you! Hello to them! Hello! Uh, coming up between now and 9.25, the stars of the show, as always, Martin the Squirrel's here. Martin, leave the phone alone! And of course, you've got my yellow jeans! Ben! I know what that was. Please tell everyone else what it was. That was a bit of Chris Evans, which you probably recognise the voice, on a programme called TV Mayhem. Yeah, I remember it really, really well. Uh, Wikipedia says it only lasted for six weeks. I could have sworn it went on longer, but who am I to argue with Wikipedia? Well, no, it should have done. Basically, TV Mayhem was an 8am Saturday morning slot, sort of t- when Wide Awake Club wasn't on. It was one of the replacement ones, uh, like Data Run used to be, and was Charlie's Bus. Charlie's Bus was part of Splat, yes, yeah. So it was one of those things, and it was supposed to last longer, and then TVM lost the license. So it, it did actually, I think, it, I, I thought it was eight weeks, but I'm basing that on the amount of episodes of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures that I, I definitely remember seeing as they were the place that showed it. Yes, because that was part of it, but the bit I particularly remember, I mean, it's worth saying at this point, Chris Evans was virtually unknown, wasn't he? outside London, and he wasn't even that known in London. It was even pre his original Radio 1 stint, wasn't it, when he had the Sunday afternoon show? Too much gravy, yeah. In fact, I I listened to that because I knew him from TV uh, Mayhem. Same here, I think, if I remember rightly, but what I mainly remember about it was they had a weekly thing, where it was a quiz where they did... Who was his co-presenter? I can't remember his name. Oh, some... He disappeared, yeah. whoever he is. yeah. I remember what his name was now. Uh, you've got me there. He had that typical early 90s haircut, didn't he? It was an early example of what he ended up doing with The Big Breakfast, which was basically the crew being part of it, and so he would drag them in and stuff. And so some people were sort of obviously to pr- pretending to be staff members, but others, you know, but also it did indeed have just cameramen and stuff just chuckling away. But I do remember there was a guy who was in a lot of the sketches with him, including what I'll come on to in a second, who had the sort of, you know, one of those typical member of airhead, early 90s centre-parting yeah. haircuts. Yeah, yeah, what was his name? Whoever he is, he obviously didn't go on to do anything, but every week they'd do a thing where they did a pop parody. I don't know who wrote them. I assume it wasn't Chris Evans himself, but they were really accurate ones. I remember one week it was Spandau Ballet. And they mimicked the videos as well. And then the, the contestants had to guess who they were parodying. And then they'd say, uh, we'll just see if our impartial judges agree with your decision. And it cuts like a pre-recorded thing of them with like huge false moustaches. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, was, yeah. <laughs> that was particularly brilliant. Uh, well, apologies to Indie, Indie Boy for not remembering your name. But which will genuinely irritate me through. But yeah, TV Mayhem was... It was literally Chris Evans at a desk 
which was, you know, wackily covered with lots of stuff, uh, linking into cartoons, all sorts of little things. And he had Little Chris and Big Chris, which was pre-recorded bits of him shrunk down by video effects or, you know, grow, uh, enlarged. But I didn't, I didn't know until very, very recently that TV Mayhem was actually one of the few programmes from BSB to appear on national television. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Chris Evans used to work on the power station, which was their equivalent of MTV. Now, we, we never had BSB. I never knew anyone who did. So that's why I never knew about this until recently. But yeah, apparently it was basically his show, Power Up. He used to do a breakfast show on there. Pretty much converted. Uh, and instead of pop videos, they showed cartoons. Was there anything else from BSB that transferred, apart from Jules Holland's The Happening? I don't know, didn't they show some of I Love Keith Allen at some point on Channel 4, maybe? I've a nasty feeling they might have yeah. done, actually. Wasn't there a compilation or I don't know, something? maybe it was BBC 2. Our friend Ian Greaves will be screaming at the air. See, what they should have done was rather than showing some of I Love Keith Allen, they should have set it in fire <laughs> and put it in a plutonium lime box and fired it into the sea. Well, that's 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 the opinion of you and indeed the four other people who saw it. <laughs> and Keith Allen. And probably Keith Allen. No, he'd probably go, nah, it was really great. It was uh, controversial. La, la, la. And then, you know sang Naughty Christmas Goblin in the office for five minutes straight. Yeah, well, it's funny you should start improvising just off the top of your head, because I was just going to ask, I mean, do you is that tradition still going of kind of up-and-coming, quite funny presenters just being stuck in a studio at a million o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and told, do something funny? I mean, obviously, very early on, you got Chris Tarrant and Noel Edmonds were pretty much that when they started, just giving the desk and told, fill a couple of hours... Later on, you know, Dick and Dom wasn't that much more high-tech than that. Does it still happen, do you know? Well, I don't imagine you're up on a Saturday anymore. <laughs> well, no, well, they don't. There's nothing on a Saturday morning anymore. More's the pay. I mean, there is, obviously. There's, there's thousands of channels and kids just go and watch Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or whatever, or CBeebies. But yeah, I think the the magazine show weirdly still exists, but it's been it's been reinvented for prosecco drinking Land Rover wearing wankers. And also, I mean, it, we've now lost that thing of you know it being a thing you discover and tell people about. A call back to Charlie's bus. I remember telling people that I'd seen a preview of this program where Morrissey was going to get on a bus. <laughs> Nobody could believe it, but he did. Well, you mentioned Morrissey there, and by that was in the mid-80s. By the mid-90s, he was waving flags sort of for reasons we better not go into. But a lot of his indie band peers were to be seen waving flags at football matches. Genuinely, that's not parody, because football was briefly kind of acceptable with the culture classes. And you got all kinds of odd spin-offs, including this. But first, a few things we noticed from watching football this week. There must have been some flooding at Old Trafford last Saturday... Because halfway through the commentary for the United Charlton game, John Motson started to drown. He's got Vaughan to beat now. Ryan Giggs. Oh, the goalkeeper out of Oxenden. You know, the goalkeeper of Blumbly. Yeah, these East European surnames, they're, they're bugger, aren't they? OK, well, as you might have noticed, that was a clip from Fantasy Football League. And it's not going to be that, because you all remember that. But it's going to be something that I've got a feeling... I've, ne- I've never heard of this until now. I've got a feeling Fantasy Football League will be several thousand times funnier than it. Ben, 
What is it? Well, yeah, uh, fantasy football is indeed to blame, I think. Because when you asked me to do this, I was like, oh, look, there's lots of comics that I could do that I only seem to buy. Like uh, The Big Greenie, which was a environmentally themed comic. It's Wicked, which had Slimer as uh, <laughs> it's basically a <laughs> shit, shit version of Monster Fun. And weirder still, The Bog Paper, which oh, is called no, no. To- was- toilet humour related stuff from Marvel UK with characters like Doctor Fu and Flush Garden. That was appalling. I remember people being really excited by that on the way to school and it was just awful. <laughs> but what's, what's your choice? What was your choice and was it any better than that? I decided to focus in on the football comic. The football humour comics like Come On Ref, The Onion Bag and Sweet Affair. They were the main three in 1994 which were definitely inspired by Fantasy Football League and the kind of, I would say the Premier League had kind of made football acceptable again. I mean the hooliganism and obviously all the tragic incidents like Hillsborough and stuff it just like it dragged football down to nothing and I think one of the few things Sky actually did of any worth ever was probably reinvigorating football for better or worse yeah I mean it's interesting that you know a reaction to how grim things got in the 80s was to it was kind of like not quite cheerleading but some people come along and say come on we let's get back to having fun you know which it, the way i'm saying that is not like an appropriate reaction but it was people trying to lift everyone's spirits and i think Badil and yeah. skinner were really at the forefront of that people tell me saint and greaves he really started that which is interesting well, i suppose it was it was sort of self-aware slightly mocking but then again of course i did lead to saint and greaves <laughs> yeah. talk about the nc league as if well that's him. that's very oh. sort of pertinent <laughs> because you know i know nothing about football never have done but Fantasy Football League turned it into a shareable joke where you could all get a joke about somebody with a ridiculous hairstyle that couldn't hit a tambourine. There were so many. I mean, I'm sure there is now. I'm just not I'm not aware of it anymore because I wasn't into football then. I'm not into football now. But Fantasy Football League made me aware that there was people like Vinnie Jones who were, you know, they were the thug. If you needed a thug, they were then. Or there were Eric Cantona who was an oddball. Gary Mabbott got his eye all smashed in. Jason Lee was the one, of course, had the pineapple on his oh, head. Yeah. Yeah, it was that sort of thing that these comics took and basically ran into the fucking ground. Yeah, but were quickly. they actually funny at any point? I mean, were they just not part of that uh, terrible wave of vis imitators like Zit? Well, Come On Ref is actually a spin-off of Spit comic, which was one of the uh, the vis imitators. But I I didn't mind Spit as much as Zit and Acne and stuff, Smut and stuff. They were foul. They were just... They didn't understand how vis worked. There was no likeness of touch. It was like, ha-ha, Jeremy Beadle is crap and Saddam Hussein jokes. And then a character who is a bit like Biffa Bacon but not punches somebody <laughs> in the face and then there's violence. And indeed, Spit had uh, Ugly Dudley. Which would come on ref, uh, they went, what characters could we do? I know, let's just make Ugly Dudley a football <laughs> hard man instead. <laughs> so he's just a footballer instead. <laughs> But it kind of worked with the Vinnie Jones hard man kind of thing that was going around. And they had, like, Whitley Baywatch. So they were, they became Whitley Baywatch Wanderers. Okay, so it sounds like it might have been funny to start with. It's debatable, certainly. Like, Come On Ref was definitely the easiest to get into. It was the, it was the more base-level one. Whereas The Onion Bag was... I think it started out as a fanzine and then became a national magazine. That was more fan-based. 
There was more there was more writing in that, less comic strips and stuff. And a lot about 70s, you know, because it was the mid-90s, so the 70s was the big thing, so there was a lot of things like haircuts of the 70s. Yeah. And, but why was know, it called the Onion Bag? Because that's the uh, nickname for the goal, I believe. Oh, okay. Pop it oh. in the Onion Bag. You plants, I'll you take slag, your word for that. Yeah. Bag. Do you know what that is? What? Do you know what that? Do you know what that is? You pod two slag stick it in the onion bag. That sounds like a, a sort of adults only version of DCI Harry Bat. I believe it's who invented fish and chips. The unreleased Fat Les football. Yeah. Team. Okay. Right. Okay. With I'm steering this back on topic before we get Fat Les involved in this again. I, I was going to say I don't understand quite what the point of these was when you already have Billy the Fish, which is sort of unbeatable. But above and beyond that, the things that Billy the Fish was parodying in a strange way, were kind of like, through trying to be serious, surrealist masterpieces in themselves. I mean, I particularly remember, because people used to buy me the sports comics, even though I wasn't interested. There was a strip called Billy's Boots, about (laughs) a boy who owned some football boots that belonged to a a dead football legend. Whenever he put them on, he played well. And it was always like, his nan would say, he'd say, nan, where's my football boots? Oh, those old things, I gave them away to the jumble sale. He'd, have, he'd spend like three, three weeks retrieving it, or the naughty boy would throw them in the river or whatever. There's one time he found some of Deadshot Keen's cricket shoes as well. So, you know, you've already, these things are already hilarious. Why are you trying to, you know, do a Me Too well, version yeah, I mean, of them? There was a lot of parodies of those that appeared. There was Willie's boots in a sweet affair, but it was basically he stole some boots and then the bloke was still alive and then said <laughs> yes. he got arrested for stealing the boots. But yeah, there was that period, 1994, 95. I suppose it culminated in Euro 96 with the, the football bubble. Has it finally burst? Yeah, and it did, and people keep telling me that I should like cast because it was really good when they played Walk Away when we lost some football. Nah, that to me is everything oh, that was worst about the mid-90s. I to watch football ever again, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on from football to, this will make sense in a minute, foot yogurts. <laughs> Smooth. Can Spooky Wookie make milk shake? Do apples crumble before they're on Do eggs scramble when they see the Afinkisaurus? Of course not, since I will fiendish feet are far too good to be bad. Okay, I think Ben's composed himself after that link now. Ben, what the hell were these? Oh, uh, well, you know what? I, I think, of all the things I picked, this is the one that mo- the most people will go, Oh, and that's fiendish feet yogurts from St. Ivel. And basically, they were yogurt pots in the... look <laughs> like monsters. They were spooky-wooky. Fangs a lot. Frank and Stein. That's not even a pun. That's not a pun. Rattle and roll. They were and they were banana, strawberry, raspberry, and chocolate. Well, apart from Frankenstein, what monsters were they? Uh, well, one was uh, a vampire. One was a ghost, and one was uh, Skellington. Of course, the famous fourth universal monster. <laughs> but they are all quite famous. I, w- I will accept that. And the thing was, not only did they have the faces on, yeah, they yeah. had feet, didn't they? Yeah, fiendish feet. That's what, <laughs> what they're called. But they were the thing. Like This were about sort of 1988, 1989. And these were just like... There were very few things. It wasn't like now we had to have everything designer. But there were a few things. It was like, you know... We didn't even do like the lunchbox thing like Americans did, you know, we had to have the the correct lunchbox with the correct 
cool thing on it. It was the contents of the lunchbox. And it was like, oh, did you get a chocolate biscuit? Oh, wow. What? what? Yo-yos? Wow. Trios? Now you're talking. And a fiendish fate was pretty much, you know, the Rolls Royce of things to shove. Not only am I eating out of the, the, the head of a popular creepy monster type, but also... I'll, I'll take it home. My mum will wash it out and I'll put it on my windowsill. Sorry, which video nasty was this? <laughs> <laughs> the yoghurt in heat or something. <laughs> that would just like, go off, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't have a yoghurt in heat, uh, kids. So, did you, when you say you put them on your mantelpiece, do you ever reenact like hammer film scenarios with them? Like uh, Dracula versus the Skeleton, that famous film. I'd like to make it quite clear. I said windowsill, not mantelpiece. You want like, what like fucking grandma's asses and you know the the, the rare silverware and candlesticks around. <laughs> Just shoved them in window, in kitchen. But no, not really. But my dad used to use them to he used to plant seedlings in them. <laughs> That's even more ridiculous than I was expecting. Yeah, so they stuck around for a lot longer, because they were being used, they stuck around for a lot longer than probably was advised. Well, how long did the range itself stick around for? Well, I, I had a look before uh, talking to you, and it seems like they kept bringing them back and, you know, replacing them and stuff like that. But, I mean, definitely into the mid-90s. There was there were 16 of them altogether, and I know this... Because I found an eBay listing where someone sold all 16. And what do you think? A collection of 16 empty yoghurt pots with <laughs> with very, very minor faces and feet sold for an eBay in 2013, Tim. I'm going to say it didn't sell. It did. Okay, now I'm going to have to readjust it. It's going to be something ridiculous, isn't it? It's going to be like 90 quid or something. <laughs> you think 90 quid is ridiculous? Try £214. Right, you can buy three Camberwick Green play sets for that. <laughs> and I think that's overpriced. You can and buy I would a actually car want for that. that. You got, what, what sort of car did you get? Oh, well, I will go it night. And then there were selling 16 empty yoghurt pots on eBay. Uh, and I remember, we must have had enough because we had a, a fangs a lot mug. I think it was like eight tokens and you sent it off. Oh, sorry, how much is that going to fetch you on eBay? Well, uh, quite a few quid. I wish we still had it. I mean, well, I'm assuming my parents don't. I, can't, I haven't seen fangs out with the best uh, chinaware. <laughs> might have been round my folks house recently. See, I don't remember fiendish feet at all, you know, being a couple of years older. Like, you know, I'd stopped having novelty yogurts yeah. by yeah, then. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yogs. yogurt is like, no, it's only for a strict age. <laughs> no, novelty yogurts. Because, you know, it, for me, it was the yogs for me. It was the yogs, and the novelty was their pictures on the lid. Yeah. Now, that's a real sales incentive. The that. novelty thing about the yogurts is that they were all in a women's prison in the mid-1970s, as you know full well. Yeah, I'm not going to even bother trying to explain that. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, if you don't. And speaking of people with zany sort of novelty, offbeat humour, how about this guy? Make a list, little Lars never seen a star Put his fans behind bars Can't you see MP3 means you're stealing from me You should have bought a CD I keep my T1 open I'm stealing your songs right now We're in debt From the internet Sue our fans We're often 
Okay, now, some of you might be assuming that was actually Weird Al Yankovic, but it's not, because we're actually going to be talking about, in the early days of the internet, it was quite common for, you know, in the sort of advent of file sharing, for one artist's work to be mistaken for another's, and Weird Al seemed to get everything in the world attributed to him, so that's kind of what we're looking at now. Ben, tell me more about this phenomenon. Yeah, I just wrote it down as songs not by Weird Al attributed to him on, like, LimeWire <laughs> and Kazar. See, th- what LimeWire and Kazar themselves could have been an entry, but that's by the by. Now they're kind of obsolete, but, I mean, they were the lifeblood if you wanted to collect, you know, music back Oh, then. yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time I heard about Napster was, I think it was Select did an article about uh, online music because it was a novelty enough to have an article then. And I think like the biggest selling internet album was They Might Be Giants, they put out an album called Long Tall Weekend in 99. And some in the next issue, someone had written in, why didn't you talk about Napster? That's what we is. And they were like, yeah, we were on about legal ones. And of course I went, ooh, Napster, what's that? <laughs> tap, 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 tap. Hey, look at this. So I went to my friend who had slightly better internet than mine and goes, hey, if we wait 30 minutes, we can have a three-minute song in 128k (laughs) right there and then. So why in particular, given the amazing amount of stuff that, you know, certainly I remember getting hold of things like the McGoffin McGear album, uh, you know, all kinds of obscurities. Why did you particularly go for Weird Al? Just because there was so much of it. No, see, it wasn't Weird Al we were going for to begin with because it was only sort of in the mid noughties I really became a fan of his. But it was just like we'd type in comedy or something like that. You know, we'd try and find things to entertain ourselves. And a lot of it would be... I mean, there was a lot of these sketches called Celebrity Jeopardy, which we used to find hilariously funny. And then years later found out there were SNL sketches that they would, we would just listen to the audio of. And it was Will Ferrell and uh, lots of other people. And it was like, ah, and I saw that. But it was funny on its own. But then there was also stuff like Elmo, smoke weed, smoke weed every day, lols. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it would say Weird Al. And usually Weird Al Yanchevich as well. <laughs> just to add insult to injury. Well, yeah, this sort of thing, did go on quite a lot in the early days. I mean, there were all kinds of examples. Like, I remember the place I was working at the time when, you know, the internet really took off was there was an email doing the rounds where there were MP3 attachments, you know, right when MP3s first appeared. And someone say, my friend went to these airports and tried these funny announcements. Like, yeah, no, that's Paul Garner from Chris Morris's Radio oh, 1 show. God. There's also the amazing story of our good friend Daryl McLean-Jones was looking for Christmas music, and he found... So, this is Christmas. Christmas, spelled C-R-I-S-M-U-S, attributed to... Beatles. <laughs> B-E-E-T-L-E-S. <laughs> I don't know if it's Weird Al's own website, but there's a website that you go to, and it has a list of all the ones which are not his. So, here... Here's a few. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you the titles. You gotta tell me Go if on. you can work out what the hilarious parodies are. I mean, the first one's Fifty Ways to Get Bin Laden. It's just, just, to, yeah, just that, to that, date well, that's it properly to 2000, 2001. <laughs> American Pie Bill Clinton version. Bimbo Number Five. None of these sound anything like anything he'd do. Bohemian Rap City. Bomb Iraq. The Bong Song. Elmo's Got a Gun. These are just. Rubbish. What if God smoked cannabis? Incorrectly spelled. Oh right, no, I am. After that one, I'm calling it end to this appalling list. And which Backstreet Boy is gay? I really wish you had oh. stopped. <laughs> that 
<laughs> Most of them are Bob Rivers, as it turns out, or wacky breakfast DJs. Right, uh, that makes sense. But, but do you think this mislabeling still goes on? I mean, I remember you being quite upset when CDDB didn't know Glasses by Chris Jarvis. <laughs> you had to make up your own track titles for it. But do you think it still goes on? I think it does, yeah, probably. Because, I mean, we, we, we say we've sort of developed with the internet along the go, but some people haven't. You know, the fact is that some people use YouTube as their CD player. This has got a, a long history because there's that very odd thing of people insisting that the LS Bumblebee by Peter Cook and Dudley Moore is a Beatles song. And yeah. it is them singing it. It's clearly the Dudley Moore trio playing on it. And also, it's clearly a Pet Sounds parody as well. It doesn't sound anything like the Beatles. No, it's not a Beatles parody at all. But, you know, uh, the, the Beatles, I'm really doing well for the links today. They have Ringo. And we're going to move on now to somebody called Bingo. The Burning Questions of Bingo Brown by Betsy Byers. Read by Carrie Shale, Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde. Bingo Brown fell in love three times during English class. Bingo had never been in love before. He had never even worried about falling in love. He thought love couldn't start until a person had zits, so he had plenty of time. Bingo was worried about being called on. It was the kind of assignment Bingo dreaded. You are successes, Mr. Markham had told them. You are tops in your field. Your picture has been on the cover of Time. I have written to you for advice because I want to be exactly like you. Now write a letter back to me. Describe your career and give me some advice. Bingo's letter was face down on his desk. His arms were crossed over it. Tara Emerson was reading her letter. Tara had picked a career that she said was physically hard but rewarding and brought pleasure to millions of people. Tara was a solid gold dancer. Okay, well, this is something that's completely alien to me, the ex- to the extent that I've had to ask Ben to find a clip, and I don't know yet what he will have chosen, but Ben, what was that clip representing? That was representing the Bingo Brown series by Betsy Byers, a series of books about a preteen in an American school who uh, is having lots of affairs of the heart and stuff. He falls in love with three different girls in the first book, and it's one of those which is... Betsy Byers was quite, uh, I suppose, read more by girls in some respects. But there were some books like about like the pinballs she wrote, which was about kids who were pinballed from foster home to foster home. There was always a bit of an underlying message, a bit of an after-school special type feel. But Bingo Brown was a bit lighter than that. And it was literally just a young lad who liked girls and didn't know what how girls worked. And I, I read them. So this was about 92 I read the, the the first book, which is The Burning Questions of Bingo Brown. I've got to say, I, I'd never heard of these before. So literally, I've, in the last half hour, I've just looked them up. And just judging by the covers, first of all, I assume they were UK books. But also I assume they were like covered similar grounds as, you know, children's BBC stuff like B.A.D. Boys. And the Boot Street Band, so I thought it was like zany school kid stuff, but apparently no, not. No, not at all. I, I would have thought you knew Betsy Byers. I know, I know who Betsy Byers is, I just don't know Bingo Brown at all. I think this is because it's a lot lighter than some of her stuff. She she wrote some sort of much heavier stuff. I said the pinballs is one, the TV kid. Uh, but these are a bit lighter, they're a bit more, a bit more pugwall. And yeah, it was just like, in 92, I was in year six at school, and Everyone wanted these books, boys and girls. Everyone had to, and it was like, is it in yet? No. Is it in yet? No. Is it in yet? Can you imagine kids 
like going constantly to a library to check a book is in. That's that's words on <laughs> a page. I mean, I, I do remember the days when there were things like somebody would turn up with a paperback that would cause a sensation, and the next day you'd see like hundreds of copies of it round. You know, everyone must have poured out of school, poured into W. H. Smiths on mm. the way home. There were things like Secrets from the School Underground, uh, Teenage Health Freak before it was a TV yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. They just spread like wildfire. Yeah. It was amazing. Starstormers was the one for me. <laughs> Nicholas Fisk's Starstormers. I was so cool. So what what other books do you remember sort of causing similar hoo-ha? Well, I said, these, these, these Bingo Brown books really were like, like fucking gold dust back then. They were absolutely what everyone wanted. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you another one that was really big when I was young was The Warlock of Firetop Mountain, which is the first sort of like role-playing gaming Those book. as well, definitely. Yeah. A lot of uh, Massive. Steve Jackson uh, role-playing games. But of course, it always used to culminate with the book fair. And it used to be, you know, you'd, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was twice a year in our school library and there'd be like, the book fair going, oh, the new books. So so your mum and dad send you with some money. And, you know, you'd, they'd send you like three, four quid and you better get about five books for that. The best book I ever got from that, still have it, and that's the official On This Day in History tie-in book by Simon Mayo. Really? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ones I remember getting from the book fair were uh, there were a, a trilogy. I, th- I think there might actually be a fourth, somebody told me recently. But joke books, I think they were puffing, but they were sort of fundraising for Oxfam. There was um, the Cracker Joke book, The End, and Up With School. And someone told me there was a fourth, but they were full of like what seemed quite, quite punky, radical jokes at that point. But I remember... I think I was about six, maybe, when the Cracker Joke book came out. And I remember reading it guffawing hardly throughout. And right at the end, it had a letter from a boy in Africa. And I assumed it was his joke that he contributed. I remember reading at the end of it and thinking, that wasn't very funny. He actually used to walk all that way to a well. That's quite sad, really. You know, it was was to remind you what you were donating towards, but I didn't understand that. I just assumed it was... Just contribute to the joke. There's a lot of jokes about wells in this. I'll be honest with you, after the first five or six, I kind of... They all kind of end up the same. Well, let's move on from one kind of ignorance of foreign cultures to another. Lisa, you got a letter. It's from my pen pal, Anya. Dear Lisa, as I write this, I am very sad. Our president has been overthrown and... Replaced by the benevolent General Krull. All hail Krull and his glorious new regime. Sincerely, little girl. Okay, well, obviously that was a kind of pen pal related clip of some description. And that brings us around to your last choice, which was the Ola pen pal service. Please, I hope you've got some good stories associated with this. Yeah, yeah in, in the sort of uh, 80s and 90s, pen pals were still quite a big thing. And you'd get people... You know, writing into looking and stuff, and probably smash hits and the enemy and stuff. Obviously, there's a famous story Danny Baker tells of someone writing into the enemy who wants to meet people who are into Beatles band. Pen, I don't. It's not a thing now at all. It's strange how pen pals have become. So, like, we just add them on Facebook, and I, I don't know why I wasn't that bothered. But you, then you could get this pack. I think it was originally the International Youth Service. And it would say, here's some here's some funky stationery. And I think that was it as well. I think that's what swayed me, because good stationery is very important. 
you know, exciting. So you had no intention of actually writing to any of these kids. You just wanted the station. It, part of that, but it, it, so it gave you a big list of organisations to write to, uh, and you had to pick three. So I picked Japan, Russia, and America, and I got nothing from Japan. I got one letter from the Russian whose name sadly escapes me, and it was written so incredibly... I mean, now, I think, they were writing in English to me. Not their first language, but I found their writing very hard to read. So I didn't bother responding. And then there was Colin Foley. Oh, Colin, are you out there? If you are listening, I'm very sorry, because I spent the next probably year and a half annoying the shit out of Colin Foley due to my obsession with American television, asking if he'd send me TV guides and stuff like that. I remember asking him if his uh, high school was anything like Saved by the Bell. (laughs) (laughs) So he was basically your Christopher Hamish Mancini from the Adrian Mole Not dissimilar, uh, AD. Not dissimilar. But no, I remember just asking him loads of inane questions about television and... Do you have Red and Stimpy there? Have you seen the new ones? I have not seen them yet. I remember just vividly just being like, oh, this guy's in America. He's so cool. He's my age and he's in uh, Florida. And he's just like, he could go to Universal Studios and stuff. He could touch Clarissa off Clarissa Explains It All if he wanted to. Yeah, he, he could go to prison as well yeah, if no, he wanted he could, to. he could, to be fair. I mean, she was probably about 35 then, but still. <laughs> <laughs> I just think extraordinary excitement. I mean, it'd be like three months between letters. And it was nice to get a, to get something through the post. Because when you're a kid, oh, yeah, it is yeah. ace, isn't it, when someone sends you something? Well, genuinely, I, when I was a lot younger, was... You know, I sent off to International Youth Services, indeed it was called then, obviously hoping to get girl pen pals that mostly paired me up with boys who were right saying, they all said, please, can you send me tape of English charts? <laughs> so I used to, like, randomly tape bits of John Peel and so on, so they'd be listening to Flying Saucer Attack or something. <laughs> wow, they have crazy far-out sounds. But right I mean, now. genuinely, some people that are on my friends list on social media are people I originally met because they were pen pals, that sort of yeah. thing. But the most interesting ones were... I remember there was a, a girl for, from Mexico called Artemisa who... She obviously had only heard of Liverpool through things in, you know, the international news and so on, and thought it was like some (laughs) Chicago in the 20s. (laughs) Meanwhile, some football went on in the middle of it, and the Beatles came from there. Best thing I think I ever got through the post, because, you know, it was great getting stuff. I mean, that's why you used to get tokens and stuff. Yes. You know, just to send off, just so you got stuff. And the best thing I think I ever got... (laughs) was the Weetabix Wonderworld Atlas, which I still own, <laughs> despite that being in 1988. <laughs> Not changed, has it, really? As not much has changed in the last 28 years, There's still it? Weetabix, although I don't think they have Weetaflakes anymore. <sighs> I think that's a good place to wrap this up, don't you, Tim? <laughs> it certainly is. Well, you say wrap it up, but we've actually... We somehow ended up with enough material for two, but rather than have it go on, have people actually saying by the end, do you know, I've got a vague memory that this started once, (laughs) kind of doing their own edition. We're going to be putting out a second one in a couple of weeks, so we'll see you again then, Ben. Thank you very much. That's us a wee bit.
book by Tim Worthington with thoughts on everything from what to do if you have to watch Wogan on the black and white portable to what to do if you get a Rubik's Magic for Christmas. Find out more at timworthington.blogspot.com.